Galatians 6 is a natural follow-up to Galatians 5. Now you say, wow, pastor, does it really take a doctorate to figure out that 6 comes after 5? No, that's, that's not what I mean. Galatians 5, as we looked at last Sunday, is all about gospel freedom. It's the gospel that frees us to walk in the Spirit of God. And that's what we learned last Lord's Day in Galatians 5. Galatians 6 is showing us what life looks like when God's people who are filled with the Spirit of God live like Jesus. So Galatians 6 is the Spirit-filled life as it is lived out in a biblical community. And for clarification, Paul does not follow up on the Spirit-filled life in Galatians 6 with signs and wonders or spiritual gifts. He simply tells us what biblical community looks like when the Spirit of God leads. I believe it was Jim Cimbala the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, who had a woman come to him one day and say, Pastor, we need to see more signs and wonders. We just haven't seen enough signs and wonders. And Jim Cimbala looked at her and said, Ma'am, over there sits a lady with her three children who have just been evicted from their apartment. I would consider it a sign and a wonder if you would take them into your house to live for the next three months. Maybe we're all a little bit like that. Maybe we all want to see the miraculous and yet maybe overlook the wonder of God as He simply takes one life that has been changed by the gospel and filled with the Spirit of God. One life walking in step with the Spirit to simply serve another life. Dear ones, that is Galatians 6. Now, just as a reminder, Galatians 5 ended with two key verses. Verse 25 says, if we walk by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is like driving down the road. And I know that many of you do it because I've seen it as I've maybe pulled up beside you on the highway. And I see you're doing one of two things. You are either praying with your eyes open and your mouth going nonstop, or you are singing along to one of your favorite songs on the radio. That is actually what walking in step with the Spirit is like. It is about singing to one of your favorite songs, right? It's like walking in step so that your your heart sets the pace for your life. The last verse of chapter 5 shows us what life is like when it is out of step with the Spirit. Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now that's life out of step with the Spirit of God. It's fleshly. It's ugly. Self-serving. 
Paul spends the rest of his letter showing us what relationships look like when we live in step with the Spirit of God. Now let me just kind of summarize it this way. When we live our lives in step with the Spirit of God, we care for our spiritual family. So if you'll look in chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. and Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. So it begs the question, what does being caught in any transgression mean? The typical way we think of applying this verse is that maybe we deputize ourselves, you know, as the, the sin police, keeping a sharp lookout for anyone who is sinning. Now, we all know people who are like that. Maybe at one time we've even been people like that. Well, that is actually the attitude that Paul condemns in uh, 5.26. The word transgression means we have strayed from the path and so we're no longer walking in step with the Spirit. So when we see a brother or a sister caught up in what is a clear known sin, the Bible is saying we cannot sit idly by and do nothing. We have to restore. Now who is supposed to do that? Because it's not a job for everyone. Now some people look at Galatians 6.1 and say, that's the pastor's job, that's what we pay him for. Paul says it is to be you who are spiritual. Dear ones, that means it's to be done by those who are walking in step with the Spirit. That includes the pastor, but it also is to include every believer who is walking in step with the Spirit of God. The word restore is an interesting word. If you've ever broken a bone, I remember a, a, a few years ago, um, our students were having a D-Now one weekend, and I got a telephone call on a Saturday afternoon to come up to the church, and I came up to the church, and they were playing some kind of activity, and one of the young men in our church had separated his shoulder from the socket, and so I load him up, and I take him to the emergency room, and we're there at the emergency room, and uh, the longer it goes, the more pain I can can see on his face and he's hurting and he's hurting and he's hurting and uh, then finally the doctor comes in and they take an x-ray and it seemed like another hour goes by and he's hurting and it's like pastor do something do something do something and I mean I'm clueless to know you know what to do he certainly doesn't want to listen to me sing I have no medical expertise doc so I can't really do much and then finally a doctor comes in and says okay let's set this thing straight Right, And the next thing I know, the doctor grabs his arm, and I, I'm just kind of standing there, just kind of clueless. He didn't ask me to leave, so I'm just kind of standing there. And all of a sudden, I see the doctor start jerking on his arm, and he screams. And all of a sudden, I hear this loud pop, right? And it popped back into place. And when that happened, I thought I was going to have a separated shoulder because I almost passed out and hit the floor. Right? That's the image of restore. 
It's like a bone that's out of socket that needs to be put back in place. It's painful. It takes time to heal. It needs gentle but tough love. Dear ones, when we apply Galatians 6, 1, I will tell you that it is painful to do. I could give examples of going into homes where two adults had decided they were going to lay aside the Word of God and move in together unmarried and live their lives with their two teenage kids and uh, that it should not affect, you know, uh, anything they do in leadership in our church. And so when I went to that home and knocked on that door and they came to the door and invited me in as if nothing was going on. And when I lovingly suggested that we as a church wanted to help them live their lives in step with the Spirit and that we would help one of them find a place to stay or uh, we would make arrangements for them to have a place to stay so that they could get married and live their lives in obedience to the Word of God. And what followed that was something I will never forget as I was cast out of that home like Jonah on a beach or being called at 10 o'clock at night by a wife with her five little kids at home whose husband had left them for a co-worker and living in a house out in the country and so a friend and I loaded up and we went out there and here it is midnight and it's dark out in the country and um, we stand on the porch and knock on this door. And finally, after about 10 minutes, the lady comes to the door and says, I've got, what do you want? And I said, I'm Derek Staples. I'm Tim's pastor. And I'm here to take him home to his wife and children where he belongs. And those kinds of things are not easy to be done. And they are not simply limited to the pastor, but they are for those who are in step with the Spirit of God. Notice the last phrase of this verse, keep watch over yourself lest you too be tempted. Let me ask you a question. What is the sin that you would be most tempted by if you were placed in a position of authority? Because that's what's being talked about here. It doesn't necessarily mean what's the sin that you're always most tempted by. But it's talking about what is that sin that you would be tempted by if you went and knocked on a door and put yourself in a position of spiritual superiority over somebody else. Pride. Arrogance. Legalism. An air of superiority. Paul is saying you better keep a watch over your own heart. Or somebody's going to need to come and knock on your door when you care for others. That's why 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The second thing he tells us in chapter 6, and I need to hurry along. We must help 
bear the weight that other people carry. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, lest each one test his own work, and then let his reason to boast be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So notice what seems to be the contrast between verse 2 and verse 5. Bear one another's burdens, and then the very last phrase, for each one will have to bear his own load. Load. I like the way Tim Keller puts this. He says, bear other burdens and by doing this, follow in the footsteps of Jesus who bore yours. So we're following in the footsteps of Jesus when we help bear one another's burdens. So what then is the difference between verse 2 and verse 5? The word burden can be translated a heavy load. It could be a a sin pattern or it could just be any difficulty with which someone can step up and help you with. The word load is more like a backpack than it is, let's say, a massive load. This is owning our responsibilities, our behaviors, our gifts that God has given, sometimes just Carrying the load of being a parent, carrying the load of being a husband or a father, carrying the load of your job or your ministry. So let's say that you're seated on an airplane and, you know, the plane is a few minutes from getting off and then some last few passengers are getting on the plane and somebody comes that's seated across you and they've got this bag that probably should have been checked, but they're like all of us. They want to save as much money as they can and so they get this bag and they're trying to lift it up and, you know, it's only supposed to weigh Uh, I think, what, 25 pounds, but it weighs 110. And they're trying to get this bag up and get it in that overhead. And so how do you bear one another's burdens? You get up, right? You stand beside them. You take the weight that is on them and you put it on yourself. And you help put the bag away. How do you help bear the burden of a parent that's got an unruly child or a rebellious teenager? You help carry their weight by standing beside them, listening to them, and praying for them. Or someone calls you and they're having major financial strain in their life. How do you help bear their burdens. Well, you go stand beside them and when you put that weight on yourself, you open up your billfold or your checkbook and you help lighten their load. How is this displayed for us? Notice that the Bible tells us here in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and notice this, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see that? And so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law that he's talking about here is not a code or a creed. It's a person. It's Jesus. I mean, look at the burden he bore. What did Jesus do? When you and I were, according to Ephesians 2, 1, dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus stepped in and Jesus got close. And the weight of our sin fell on him. He didn't just take some of it. He took all of it. And the Bible says 
that he let it crush him. Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity. Of us all. We help bear the weight other people carry. And when we do, we are walking in step with the gospel of Christ. Why? Because that's what Jesus has done for us. That is how we fulfill the law of Christ. Third, we look for ways to bless others. In verse 6, as Renee read for us, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, this is often a verse that is awkward for a pastor to preach, but here goes. Paul is saying that a church in step with the Spirit will take care of their pastors. And I want to be as crystal clear as I can and say to you, my church family, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking such good care of us. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you're concerned about our needs. Thank you for the care that you take in blessing us as pastors and staff. Verse 6 is a personal word. In other words, this is a word for every one of us seated here today because there are times when I'm doing the preaching and there are times when I'm doing the listening. And so it applies to all of us. The word one is individually. So in this context now, my task is to be faithful in the preaching, teaching, ministry of the church. Your task is to share. Spirit-aligned people, listen to this, spirit-aligned people are not greedy or stingy. When we are walking in step with the Spirit of God, we are neither greedy or stingy. We love to share. And that's what the text is teaching. And so the image that Renee read for us is of sharing and participating. It is of sowing and reaping, right? Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. So Paul is saying, don't be deceived. Let's not be deceived in thinking that God is saying to us, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Right? That's a prosperity gospel message. That is not the gospel of the New Testament. We do not obligate the Holy Spirit in order to make things go our way. That's what, by the way, dear ones, the path to legalism, it leads here. It leads to the place where when things begin to struggle a little bit for you, your very first reaction is to say, God, I don't understand because I've been so faithful. Our response, I used to have a gentleman walk into my office 
I think I've mentioned to you before, once a quarter, when it came time for tax season, he would come into my office. He was an individual business owner. And when business was not well and it came time for him to have to pay all of his taxes, I could count on it like clockwork. He would be seated in my office wanting to know why he's having to go through what he's going through because he's a deacon and a Bible study teacher and he gives financially to the church. And what he is saying, and he doesn't even know it, he's not even aware of it, but what he is saying is, God, you owe me. Paul is not talking about getting payback from God. He's talking about us deceiving ourselves into thinking that we can sow in the flesh and reap in the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. We could summarize it this way. Paul is saying to Christians... You cannot live a semi-committed Christian life and still expect a work of God to be done. That's what he's saying. Let's live in step with the Spirit. Let's don't let hardship cause us to give up. He says, let's not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. So as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's bless everybody that we can. Let's help take care of everybody that we can, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we're going to get tired along the way with anything that we do. Paul is simply saying, why not get tired making much of Jesus in the world? Well, it's a holiday weekend and the pastor is not to preach long on a holiday weekend. And all God's people rejoiced and said, Amen. Here's the last one. We keep our focus on the cross. In verse 12, He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now Paul ends the book. He ends his letter by contrasting that which is man-centered with that which is gospel-centered. And so verses 12, 13, and 14 is about that which is man-centered. Here is law works. They didn't care about the Galatians, Paul says. All they cared about was converts. They didn't really care about people. They were persuading them, not out of concern for their soul. just out of concern for making a good impression. Their motivation was for the praise of men. They preach works. They don't preach Christ alone. How do we know that? Well, because the text says that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They escaped being persecuted by other Jews. By preaching Jesus plus the law. 
They did it to avoid hard times. They did it to avoid being looked down on. And that is the greatest hypocrisy of all. Right? They want you to submit to the law. They're not doing it. But they sure want you to do it. And so then Paul says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then he concludes by saying, For I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. My dear ones, we need to let that sit on our hearts. You want to let something settle on you this weekend? All right, you amped up for that pulling the grill out and the hamburgers and hot dogs and, you know, the chicken and the steak. I prefer medium well, by the way, when those steaks go on. Oh, beloved, please. We are living in a very chaotic age. And sometimes I'm afraid that as a pastor, that we may forget the power of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We're so busy living our lives, we're so busy doing our thing. Paul knew the power of the cross. It's not about personal recognition for Paul. You know what it is for Paul? It's about lifting high the banner of Jesus. For Paul, it's like, hey, let me show you something. See that right there? That's what happened to me in Lystra. When they dragged me out of the city beat me to a pulp and left me for dead. This eye problem that I'm having, you ought to have seen the size of that rock that hit me. And you know what? <laughs> when all of that was said and done, my greatest joy was to stand up and say, hey, guess what? You can do whatever you want to to me. Jesus Christ is still Lord. He is still the King. Paul lifted high the banner of the gospel. Sometimes we can get so busy in the affairs of this life. And some of it's really good stuff. But we can get so busy with the affairs of this life that we forget what Paul told Timothy. My job is to please him who enlisted me as a soldier. John Stott, in his commentary, says this. Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I am here because of you. 
It is your sin I'm bearing. It is your curse I'm suffering. It is your debt that I am paying. It is your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we visit, and listen to what he says as he concludes, until we visit a place called Calvary, because it is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink down to our true size. On this Memorial Day weekend, Let us remember those who sacrificed so much for us. But beloved, let us also remember that we do not have a God in heaven who looked at our sin and scolded us and said, you know what, I'm going to give you exactly what you deserve. He received us. A couple weeks ago I got a call to go to NHC in Anniston. And I went to see Elaine Mendenhall. Her husband George had shared with me on the phone that the doctors had told her she has two weeks to two months. Elaine is battling severe dementia. And I pulled up there at NHC and was walking over toward the door. I noticed that George and Elaine were seated outside. It was a real pretty day. A couple caregivers were there. And so when I came right up, you know, I had to get close to George because he's lost, like my mom, a lot of his vision. And so I introduced myself to George, and then he said, oh yeah, Pastor, hey, it's great to see you. And there sat Elaine, and I grabbed a chair and sat down right there beside her, and we began to talk the best we we could. And while we were there, George had mentioned that Elaine used to sit right up here, You sing in the choir every week, Fred. And so I looked at Elaine, and I said, Elaine, would you mind sharing with me your favorite hymn? And she just sat in silence. All of a sudden, she turned her head to me. And in a moment that God had given her of crystal clear clarity she looked at me and she said pastor my favorite hymn is what a friend we have in Jesus and then she said my favorite verse is come to me all who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest. Isn't that the gospel? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Dear ones, the cross is for us today. The cross is absolutely for people who have ruined their lives and messed up and done everything wrong and feel like I'm so broken and I'm so twisted God could never want me or use me. And the cross screams at us. Oh, how loved you are.
cross is for people who feel that sin has beaten them down and left them empty. The cross is for people with shame and regret. Listen, the cross is for you and me. Have you experienced the power of the cross? Have you experienced the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb of God? Are you certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven? You can be. By simply trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will grant you eternal life. I pray that if you're not certain, you will nail it down right now, today. If you're a believer this morning, what should you do? I mean, those of us who have experienced the power of the cross, what should we do? How should we live our lives? Paul says, do two things. You ready? Walk in step with the Spirit. In other words, live like who you are. If you claim to be a Christ follower, look like a Christ follower. If you claim to be a Christ follower, live like a Christ follower. If you claim to be a Christ follower, make your priorities His priorities. Walk in step with the Spirit of God. Number two, spend every waking day of your life lifting high the banner of Jesus. May I boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. It is in the cross that I have died to the world. So let's lift high, church, the banner of Jesus.